Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now age of radio everybody How we are back i got that in right yeah kind of <laughs> episode 131 of the dark windows podcast my name is kevin and i'm a kevin he is also kevin because he won't shut up and i can't get in because i'm, like, I'm okay. doing the intro bitch yeah but let me say hi at least i once was, again i was just trying to get through the intro and then i was gonna let you do your thing yeah yeah that's how whatever. we do that's not how we do that's how we should do no well fuck off anyway oh fuck yourself so, this is episode 131, like we just said, and we are actually going to finish our two-part episode on Joseph the Animal Barboza. Um, I pick things up, I put things down. Just when you thought shit couldn't get any weirder with this fucking guy, it sure does. So, <laughs> um, He still hasn't gotten prettier. No, he's an ugly fuck, but um, what, what, if you don't follow us on Facebook or Instagram, one of our Instagram followers made a comment, and I can't unsee it now. Um the mugshot that I posted for the show last week on our social media guy said he looks like John Barenthal on pasta. And I fucking love it. <laughs> it's my favorite thing ever. Cause now I'm like, son of a bitch. He does look like Shane on the pasta. Not so much the Punisher. Cause he's got the longer hair. He looks like Shane on the pasta. So just a quick recap. He was a uh, Portuguese fella that was working for the Italian mafia in Boston. Um, he was doing all kinds of loan sharking and, uh, carrying out some hits when he, when needed. And in 1966, he got a little bit too big for his britches and he starts going into all these, uh, establishments that have, that are, listen, he's trying to make the moves. Okay. Yeah. But he's making the wrong moves. Listen, Rocco here, you know, needs to make some moves. His name's Joe. So, I mean, he's not that Italian. He's Whatever. actually Portuguese. Like we said, he's a water Spaniard. Oh, sorry, Rocky. <laughs> um, Whatever. He's trying to make the moves, boss. But, but what he's doing is he is going into all these other establishments that are already paying other, other connected guys that are all part of the same crime family. And being like, hey, so I know you're paying so-and-so. But you're gonna pay me now too. Yeah, weren't they? Were they capos or whatever? Uh, or they, lieutenants? Or they were just kind of like street guys, but they were all part of the same. Oh, okay. All under the same umbrella, basically. So they all reported back to the same people. And they're oh. like, "Hey, this fucking guy." I thought they were like some of the guys that were paying there. The, the people, like the bars and stuff, were paying for protection. Were you know like little. 
higher on the food chain, I'm, like a I'm, lieutenant. I'm or sure some of them would have been. Um, but again, he was just, just fucking sticking his dick in places where it didn't belong. He'd be in a right cunt. Yeah. Um, and he ended up getting his ass thrown in jail in uh, in late ni- in 1966. He was arrested on a, on a weapons charge and held on a hundred thousand dollars bail, which our again, like I said last week, our money. today's money would be eight hundred grand. So money. he he was in there for a, <laughs> he was he was not getting out anytime soon if it was about the money. So his first and only call was to Raymond Patriarca, the head of the Patriarca crime family. Boss, where boss. yeah, like who he works directly for i don't understand it boss i don't know why i'm in jail (laughs) yeah well he he was in jail for illegal weapons charge i didn't steal a single weapon and uh i don't know exactly how the conversation went but i think it probably went something like no 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 mr patriarch no here right now (laughs) like the fucking maid from family guy um because joe expected that for everything he's done for these guys all the people that he has killed directly under the orders of the Patriarcha crime family, all the money he's made them through his loan sharking and collecting, you know, money from businesses. All that damn sharking. He's thinking, oh, I'm going to I'm going to be in here for the afternoon. I'm, I'm just taking the day off and I'll be out of here. Um, no, no, because the Patriarchas had decided he was no longer useful and he was actually more trouble than he was worth. So they cut him loose, and they left him in jail to rot. Within a few weeks, word on the street had actually made it into prison and directly to Joe that uh, the Italians were the ones who actually tipped off the cops about his illegal gun stash. Uh Uh-oh. So now Joe is super pissed, Mm. and he wants to get out of jail so that he can start hunting patriarchas. So... In order to get himself out of jail, during one of his visitations, um, Arthur Bratzos, who was one of the guys in his crew, came in to see him, you know, see how he was doing. And uh, he sent Arthur uh, Arthur Bratzos and Tommy DePriscio, who was another guy in his crew, to start collecting debts on his behalf to start raising bail money. Mm-hmm. Between all the loans that they, um, they had out to people on the street, uh, money that they were owed due to protection in a very, very short period of time. These two guys came up with somewhere in the neighborhood of 65 to $80,000. We're talking like within a couple of weeks, they came up with that kind of money. Wow. That's a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah. So these guys are like one, like really good bake sale away from getting their buddy out of prison. When Raymond Patriarca finds out what's going on. So he decides, no, no, we're not going to, we're not letting these guys get Joe out of jail. You two, get your asses in here. Kinda, we're going to have a talk. Kind of. <laughs> uh, so Bratzos and DePriscio were asked to meet up at the Nightlight Lounge by Larry Zanino. Dude, <laughs> nice. some of the fucking places in this that's, thing. That's great. Yeah. I love that. That's, 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 I'm, I'm not laughing at the, you know, the name of the place. I love it. I, I'm just, it's just... It's kind of like, you know, like let, it's one of those ones that should be just in a movie. Let me make it better for you. N I T E L I T E. Nice. Yeah. That's still, that's, 
That's awesome. So I mean, like I said, should be in a movie, you right? Know, it, it probably is. Like it's one of those like super generic sounding things where like, ah, oh, that sounds like it could be a place where a bunch of fucking goombas and the mafia would hang out. You know? the, the nightlight lounge. Yeah. Oh, where it, all the where all the great ones hang out. It's like uh, Roy DeMeo, the guy that worked for, um, oh man, who was it? The Gambinos yeah. in New York. His uh, his club that he owned was the Gemini Lounge. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck, dude? Like, some of the names, like, goddamn, the 60s and 70s. It must have been really cool to be on acid all the fucking time. Yeah, but to think of the, you know, I guarantee, like, those guys had some of those, you know. Why don't you choke up on your mic there a little bit? Some of those guys had, you know, a lot of people in their, uh, coming to their business. Oh, for sure. You know, like Frankie and, uh, Sammy and, you know. All them. Where, where are you going with that? The whole Rat Pack. They, oh, they, well, they, they owned Las... They were creating Las Vegas at this point. Yeah, but no, no, no. See, the thing is, though, the mob still owned Vegas. It's because of those guys that the mob owned Vegas. Yeah, well, but, but the thing <laughs> is, is they, they, they still... Mostly know, when, when Frank Sinatra. Went, when Frankie went back home, Frankie was, you know, could go anywhere he wanted. Yeah. He was from New Jersey, so he could only go so many places. Doesn't matter. He could go wherever he wanted. <laughs> so they get they get asked to meet uh, with Larry Zanino, who owned the bar. Um, basically said, hey, I heard Joe's in prison. I've got a bunch of money. I want to help you because Joe's a good guy. He's helped me out in the past. I've got a hundred grand for you. Yeah. So like shit, okay. Wow. Let, let's go meet up and we'll you know we're gonna we'll have our boy out of here in no time. Because his bail was how much? A uh, hundred thousand dollars, and they already had anywhere between sixty five and eighty thousand dollars. Well, I mean, you gotta have you gotta have money for fucking weapons and stuff, you know. Well, after. I mean, at this point in time, any anything extra would have been like, I think would have been like, no, Joe, we made the uh, we made the hundred grand. <laughs> you know, what's that? What's that bulge in your pocket? That oh, that's nothing. That's nothing. That's I'm nothing. Just, I'm that's, happy to that's see you. Definitely, definitely not a brick of hundred dollar bills in there. I, definitely not. No, I am happy to see you, Joe. That's all it is. It's it's pure bulge happiness. So they arrive at the nightlight lounge. Um, of course, the bar is closed for the night because we're not going to have, not, we're not allowing allowing regular people in here. We got business to attend uh-huh. to. So they show up. They've got, and I don't I don't understand why. I looked into this for a while trying to figure out why they did. But when they showed up, they had all of the money they had already made with them. Because they're stupid. I'm I'm assuming these guys are, like, real stupid. Being like, hey, why don't we leave it, I don't know, in a fucking locker at the train station. That's Nah. No, we'll no. just bring it with us. It's fine. We'll put it all together. We'll no. throw it in a shoebox. Bury it in the backyard or some shit. No, no, no. no. See, <clears throat> one is actually the brains, and the other one, well, okay. Neither. They, I, have, they have a full brain between the I'm two. I'm not 100%. Sure, these guys had a handful of brain cells to rub together between the two of them. Well, yeah. So they show up, and again, they have all of the money. Uh, they walk in, they sit down, and a whole bunch of other guys show up and pull guns on them. Mm. Uh, this is a crew being run by, being ran by, and again, the nicknames, Ralph, Ralphie Chong, La Matina. So they force these guys into the back room. Shoot them both in the head, take the money, and uh, they jam them in the back of um, uh, Bratzos' car. They put them both in the back seat. 
and they drive it into Southie and leave it on a side street. Trying to throw the cops on a wild goose chase thinking that the Irish killed these guys because it's in South Boston. Sons of bitches. Turns out the police are not as dumb as these guys think they are. No, because half, <clears throat> half of them are Irish anyway. <clears throat> All the know. cops in Boston? Yeah. Dude, 130% of them are Irish. <laughs> there's, a, there's a few, you know, non-Irish. They, they, they had like one black dude in the 80s, a couple of Italians, and the rest of them are Irish. I it's mean. like it's like the fucking cops in New York back in like the late 1800s. They were all goddamn Irish. But then it turned. They all became Italian. Well, the cops became Italian. The Irish didn't become <laughs> Italian. Yeah, they did. You cannot switch nationalities. That's not how it works. Uh-huh. Just no, watch it. Ready? I, it's 20, it, now Italian. It's 2021. You can, ide- you can identify your sexuality as a fucking attack helicopter now, so why not? <laughs> I, identi- I, I identify as Irish now. <laughs> I know identify as flat nothing yeah. shit. The earth is flat and I'm Italian. Yes. Are you really Italian? Yes. But the earth's still flat now. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> I had Italian reassignment surgery. <laughs> or would it be Italian rigatoni surgery? No, no. Son of de- a bitch. It, it God damn it, Kevin. No, it's, it's definitely. You uh, ruined it. No, it's definitely Italian reassignment surgery. <laughs> you, you had your you had your Italian put with your where your Irish is. They took my manicotti off. They put you gave me raviolis instead. <laughs> yep. They, so, they took they, t- they <laughs> somebody's gonna get really pissed off about this, and I don't care. <laughs> they took my Scotty away and gave me. <laughs> oh, no, that's not right. No, no, not right. <laughs> so uh, shortly after after uh, Bratzos and Depresco are killed. Um, Joey Chico Amico, who was a nut. Yeah, dude, I'm telling you. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. His, was his, that three names or one? His name is Joey Amico and his nickname is Chico. And I'm assuming his nickname is Chico because his last name is Amico. <laughs> I'm like, Joey Chico Amico and, and you, what? And, and people wonder why the, like, the Italians get picked on in, in movies for their goofy fucking nicknames because they really had them. Just, it's fucking ridiculous. They can't make this shit up. No. So he was another member of uh, of Barbosa's crew, and he was killed. Uh, Barbosa, I'm telling you, he's still a pirate. <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> there's no fucking way he's still a pirate. Sorry. So he he was killed like a couple of weeks after Bratzos and Depresio. So after Amico was killed, our boy Steve Flemmy shows had, up. He, he had shitty insurance. Yeah. I'd like to speak to you about uh, your car's extended warranty, if you know what I'm talking about. I know you have a car. Let's talk. <laughs> yes, you do. Oh, son of a bitch! He's gonna make me buy a fucking moped. <laughs> Listen, I don't, I don't want some terrifying Italian Bel-Air. mobster on a fucking moped, like cruising around on a Vespa with his fucking Beep. greased hair back, <laughs> greased back hair. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here! Uh, anyway. Pasta fagioli. Pasta fagioli. That's a callback to a South episode. Uh, rigatoni. <laughs> um, so anyway. Somebody's, we're, we're, we're going really to get really um, going to get. Fuck them. They're Italians. I don't yeah, care. They're going <laughs> <laughs> to be like, they're like, yeah, fuck you. You goddamn mutt. <laughs> Pretty much. Hey, man, I've never, I've never claimed to be anything other than a fucking disgusting mutt. 
a northern European I'm fucking web-footed mutant. I'm 100% mutt. Yeah. Mostly northern European mutt. So after Amiko gets killed, uh, Steve Flemmy, who you may remember from last week's episode. Um, the Flemmiest of all Flemmy. <laughs> He's not the Flemmiest of them. <laughs> Jimmy the Bear is the Flemmiest. Uh, listen, his, his name's Flemmy. I mean, he, he's got, he's got a lot of congestion going on. <laughs> so he goes to visit Joe in prison to kind of, like, keep him appraised of the situation on the outside. Yes. He's the one that tells Joe that Bratzos and DePrisco were both killed. He also tells Joe that Amico's been killed. Mm-hmm. And he also tells him that Raymond Patriarca and Jerry Angelino are planning on, planning on having Joe killed. With the connections that both of these guys had, they very, very easily could have had him killed in prison. Like, they could have bought off a guard. They've got plenty of guys on the inside that would do it just for the sake of saying, hey, I'm the one that killed Joe Barboza. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, more likely than not, they're buying a guard. Yeah. I Because mean, they'll just, just walk into a cell and fucking blast him. I mean, just seeing Don't how, shoot him in the head, though. The fucking bullets will bounce off. See, seeing how, like, Capone lived in prison, because I've seen, like, at least one or two of his cells. Oh. I think there was one. Dude, uh, he had a rooftop cell with, like, a fucking lawn chair and a carpet and shit. Yeah, one of his, one of the uh, prisons he was in, I can't remember where the fuck it was. If it was in Pennsylvania or whatever it was, he actually, like, he had this a huge-ass cell just to, for himself. Yeah. But that was before he went to Alcatraz. Yeah. And then I don't think he got – at The Rock, he had a had a good cozy cell. I don't think anybody got special treatment there because <laughs> they're like, oh, oh, who are you? No, you're a fucking scumbag. Get in your box and shut up. <laughs> yeah. You fat little bastard. Fucking penguin-looking motherfucker. Get out of here. <laughs> I, the, the other option here is instead of maybe buying somebody off to kill him, they can just bide their time and wait because Joe's only going to be in there for five years for the weapons charge. So we can always hold on and be like, well, wait, maybe in like a couple of years, he'll forget that, you know, we're going to try to fucking kill him. And, uh, and he'll just forget about it and he'll come out. Well, you know, somebody will pick him up and just blow him away and throw him in the fucking Charles river or whatever. No fucking way. This guy will never forget. So he starts considering his options and after knowing that his entire crew <clears throat> has been completely wiped out in less than a year and knowing that he may not be around for the long haul, He's Joe decides to turn state's evidence. Oh, damn. That's he even... fucking flipped the rat switch, Ooh. which is a big time fucking no, no with the mafia. But I mean, you're not a main. He's not a main man. He doesn't don't... matter. Doesn't matter. You know where the bodies are buried because you put them there. Well, of course. And you know who told you to make the dead bodies and put them there. Yeah, and see, you know he's 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 playing his card. So he becomes an FBI informant in exchange for protection for himself and protection for his family on the outside. Uh-huh. After testifying against Raymond Patriarca and some of the other higher-ups in the Italian crime families, he was he was actually the first person to be put into what is now known as federal witness protection. And that's because the FBI created the program specifically for him. He was the first person to go into it, and it's because of what he was doing. 
So him, his wife, and his kids were all obviously put into this program, and they were relocated to a small island near Cape Ann, which is in Massachusetts, which to me sounds like a really fucking bad idea because Cape Ann is uh, is like basically where Rockport, Massachusetts is. Yeah. Which is less than an hour from Boston. It's, yeah, it's like... <laughs> they, they could have sent somebody up there. He would have stopped and had a fucking Dunkin' Donuts coffee on the way through, fucking killed Joe, grabbed a bagel on the way home. Yeah, I mean, it's... What? You don't even have to put fucking gas in your car to go kill this motherfucker. It's half hour, not even that. It's an hour. It's like 57 minutes from Boston to Rockport. And that's with today's modern uh, highway huh. system. Huh. Less than an hour. Yeah, haul highway driving. Yeah. So this was done to keep him close for the trial, but not close enough where he could be killed in his own home. Yeah. And obviously being on a little island, it makes it a little bit harder to get to him. Um, if it were me, I would want to be on a different fucking continent. But that's just me personally. <laughs> um, I mean, at one time, they used to just, you know, move you to a totally different area. You know, like either states away or yeah, I mean, or whatever. We'll, because... we'll get to that part because the same thing happens with him. Well, no, I'm just saying that's what they used to do because I mean, there was no really no witness protection program. They just, you know, hey, you know, we'll, we'll just we'll put you like you know somewhere way over here. You just start fresh. Oh, because you know that's because there wasn't as many people now. Sounds by this like... time. Well, same I mean. thing the Catholic Church does, but <laughs> uh, so from from what I could find, it looks like he would have either been on uh, Milk Island or Thatcher Island, which are the only two little islands that are like right there yeah. near the Cape. Yeah. Um, and uh, when he got off the boat, one of the uh, one of the off the boat. Yeah, again off the boat. <laughs> um, when he gets off the boat, one of the sixteen agents that were Shoots in the fucking head. Yeah, no, not we're, Damn. we're not that lucky. Um, so there were 16 agents that were based on the island with him to protect him. Yeah. One of them said, <laughs> one of them said that they asked him, hey, what do you think of the place? He just looked around, looked at the guy and went, what the fuck? And walked away. <laughs> <laughs> because you're going from growing up in the city and now you're out in the middle of fucking nowhere with nothing to do. And what little do they know? That was the it's the hoity-toity mecca of the world. Yeah, or damn near close to it. Well, here's another fun thing: is one of the marshals because you know obviously they get to know this guy after dealing with him for long enough. They you know after talking and getting you yeah. know realizes Joe likes dogs, so he's like, let's get him a dog, keep him company, you know, because it's right right now it's just him on the island. We're you know his, we've moved his family away. Yeah, let's get him a dog so he's got something to do. So they get him a rescue dog. What really brought this? This part's fucking hilarious to me. What really brought like kind of like a spark of joy to Joe's like tiny, tiny little black heart was training the dog. You know, teaching him how to sit, you know, doing some tricks and stuff. Um, but his favorite thing that he could do with the dog is he trained it to attack the marshals. <laughs> <laughs> so he would give the dog like a very, very. Uh, kind of like super sneaky like a hand signal like he'd just move his hand just right like he's talking yeah, because yeah. you know 
<laughs> that's how people talk. Yeah. And he'd just like throw in a weird hand signal and the fucking dog would start chasing these dudes around, grabbing them by the legs and biting at them and shit. Yeah. Um, so after a while, they got sick of this shit and they took the dog away. But I like to hope that like as the ferry was leaving, there's like a couple of marshals on the boat with the dog and he's waving goodbye and he sneaks that hand signal in. The dog's just fucking with these guys all the way back to the mainland. <laughs> Son of a bitch, get him off of me. <laughs> fucking chewing on these idiots or the dogs looking at looking out probably what happened is they probably got like <laughs> they probably got like just far enough away so you couldn't see and they're like fuck this dog and just whipped it over the like overboard or they snuff him yeah throw him in water last time you bite me motherfucker <laughs> i don't know what happened to your dog joe i don't know what happened he's fucking dead um we just found him like that <laughs> i fell out of the shower <laughs> So the FBI agents that were working with Joe on the case told him that after the trial, you know, what we're going to set you up with a plastic surgeon. We're going to change your appearance. Oh, so, Jesus. That's a whole shit ton of. You're going to need a lot of Play-Doh to fucking fix Mr. Potato Head there because that boy's got a, <laughs> boy's got a big fucking head on him. You need like Queer Eye for a straight guy like times three. You know, it, it no, it's not even it's not even like the makeover. Like you need somebody with a blowtorch, a chisel, and three hammers to rearrange this guy's face. Like I said, the queer eye for a straight guy. Guys, they they don't do could, plastic surgery. No, I'm saying they're just they gonna be like, here, not, put on they, this fucking they shirt. Just make him over and make him because they do like you know, hey, they, you know, they make him make you if you're kind of you know whatever they you know, they figure out whatever and make you look a little bit better. But do they though? <laughs> I've seen some of the shit they put those guys in, and I'm like, dude. He has the same look on his face that people's dogs do when you put them in a sweater, where it's like, just fucking kill me. Most of them, you know, I mean, what, what I, well, the old, old crew yeah. of the gay guys, you know, they were, you know, I mean, they were, they had some fashion, I guess. No. So anyway, they're going to find a surgeon to fuck this guy's face up. Oh, they were going to, um, he was going to fuck gonna, his face. Again, help him change his appearance. And they even said they were going to give him a little bit of money. And find him a location to try to help him open a restaurant. Because Joe likes to cook. Remember, he you know he likes oh, yeah, doing yeah, his yeah. cooking. He went to culinary school. Yeah, and they're like maybe this you know trying to maybe this will help keep him out of the underworld. You know. Uh huh. So FBI being the FBI and the federal government in, in general making promises that they don't keep. So they didn't do any of this shit. Um. But on June twentieth, his testimony. On June 20th, his testimony at tr- at the trial would put Raymond Patriarca and Henrin, uh, Henrin, that's a weird name. Henrin, huh? Henry Tamilio in prison for the rest of their lives for consp- uh, conspiracy to commit murder, um, resulting in the death of uh, Willie Marfo, who was a, a bookie in Providence. Then on August 9th, Gennaro Angel- uh, Angelino, who is Jerry Angelino's brother, was accused of murder of uh, murdering Rocco de Seglio. Um, and in October of the same year, six men were charged with the murder of Edward Teddy Deegan, who was just some kind of like a small time crook, like doing some breaking and entering, maybe, you know, slinging yeah. some dope on the streets. He was, he was nobody. He wasn't connected to anybody. Um, but the funny part of this story is uh, the six men charged with the Deegan murder. None of them at all were involved with it. Um, and Joe knew this the whole time because he knew that it was actually Jimmy the bear that killed Mike, uh, that killed, uh, Deegan. And he just kept his fucking mouth shut. 
He's like, oh, no, it's these six fucking guys over here. You know, Jimmy's probably in the back just like winking a thumbs up. <laughs> and the judge is like, what was that? Nothing. Nothing. I, it's in my eye. It's yeah. in my eye. None <laughs> of your fucking business. Strike that from the record. <laughs> um, so I think here's probably going to be our best place to take a quick break. We'll come back and finish up the it, – it doesn't get any less crazy from here. This guy just – He exudes the crazy. He, he, It's not even crazy. It's just poor decision-making. No, it's the crazy. No, you'll understand what I'm talking about. So we'll be right back in just a second. After these messages. Okay. So with all the drama going on and the spectacle that the trial had become – the uh, the Boston Herald wrote an article. No, I don't believe that. Bullshit. Yeah, don't. So so they they write an article um, where they basically were like, you know, this guy's a traitor. He's talking about, you know, yeah. he's throwing all of his buddies under the bus here, and it's like, you guys are supposed to like not like the bad guys, kind of. Um, I don't really know. I don't understand why they're like, oh, this guy's a piece of shit, and <laughs> it's like, um, yeah, so are you though. But he uh, he actually wrote a letter to them saying, all I want is to be left alone. And that was basically all the letter said. <laughs> Leave me the fuck alone. It's all good. So while he was the star witness for the trial, the Italians reached out to him and told him basically, we want you to shut up and recant all your statements. Water under the bridge. We'll forget everything. And we'll give you 25 grand. He counter offers telling them, I'll do it but you're going to give me 50 grand. So he starts talking to his lawyer and he's waiting for an answer back from the Italians. And the Italians go, yeah, okay, sure. We can, we we can double the price. That's fine. Um, and, uh, after talking to his lawyer, he gets in touch with the, the gentleman that reached out to him from the mafia and tells him to get fucked pretty much <laughs> and continues with his, uh, his testimony. So a few weeks later, Angelino was found uh, not guilty. Um, I'm not sure why, but he was found not guilty. Pretty confident that he was at least involved in Hmm. the murder. Um, 25 years later, when interviewed, the foreman of the jury for the case said that not a single member of the jury found Joe Barboza to be a believable witness. He says here, quote, he didn't help the state at all. He wasn't reliable. He was nothing as a witness. Ah, so they literally took him at his word because they're like, "Oh, he know he knows he knows where the bodies are buried." So he he wouldn't. Yeah, you know, yeah. There's no way he's a fucking criminal moron, you know. Well, uh, now let's you know let's let's let's, uh, <laughs> let's take let's reexamine that. Yeah. So here's here's an interesting part. January 30th of 1968, when getting into his car, uh, Joe's attorney John Fitzgerald has a slight mishap. Somebody, <coughs> the Italians, <coughs> had maybe Are you by... okay over there, buddy? Oh, I'm fine. Had maybe by accident or maybe on purposely uh, dropped a car bomb in his vehicle. Yeah. Um, Fitzgerald was halfway into the car, starts it up. Oops, it, I tripped. It blows up and he loses his left leg from the knee down oh. in the explosion. Oh. Um, so after this, the FBI started kind of bouncing Joe around to different facilities, including a short stay at Fort Knox. So they're like, nope, we're, we're not keeping you up there. We're going to move you all over the place so that they don't know where the fuck to look for you. 
Because obviously they see it coming back, you know, south. Because I'm sure these guys are trying to keep an eye out, trying to catch him being transported at least. So May uh, May of 1968, the trial for Deegan's murder starts and lasts 50 days until the jury found uh, Peter Lamone, Louis Greco, Henry Tamilio, and Thomas uh, Caseo all guilty, and they sentenced all of them to death. Joseph Salvati and Wilfred French got life in prison. So they were the other two that were involved, the other two that were, quote, involved, but they didn't get um, a death penalty. Um, I'm assuming that they were looking at these guys as uh, lesser criminals. Maybe they were in the vehicle, like keeping an eye out and the getaway driver or something like that, which um, nowadays, if you were to do that in California or I think pretty much anywhere else, if you are involved in a crime that results in a murder even if you're just a driver you get the same sentence which is fair because it it just is um so casero and french were made an offer by the fbi that uh said you know basically if you turn state uh, state witness will commute your sentence to life with possibility of parole Caseo told the agent, quote, warm up the electric chair. <laughs> so Caseo would actually die in prison 30 years later before he could be executed. And French was released 34 years later. Um, so only one of them died in prison, but it wasn't at the hands of the state. It was most likely the <laughs> due to poor decision making in his diet and, you know, other shit. Uh, for some reason, I just picture all gangsters as dying of lung cancer if they don't get shot to death. You know what I mean? Either lung cancer or fucking cirrhosis of the liver. Uh, yeah, I was you know. going to say that. Oh. One of those ways where you really enjoy how you're slowly killing yourself until you yeah. start to die. Then you're like, okay, this sucks. I shouldn't have done that for so long. Hmm. Um, so for his involvement in the trial, Joe was sentenced to one year in prison, which they actually counted quite, kind of as time served. So he didn't actually spend a day in prison at all, other than when he was at Fort Knox to be <laughs> kept an eye on. Yep. So he, he now going by Joseph Bentley, he and his family were shipped to Santa Rosa, California, where he again attends cooking school. <laughs> Motherfucker loves to cook. In 1970, Joe gets bored and kills a man by the name of Clay Wilson. They had kind of become acquaintances through some other not so savory folks. And Clay told Joe about some uh, some jewelry and some other high-end goods that he had nabbed from a couple of houses. Um, Joe tells him, you know, like, hey, you should give me a cut of that since we're friends and all. And uh, they get into an argument about it and then decide to go for a walk. And at this point in time, we're, they're with a couple of women, um, neither one of which are Joe's wife, by the way. And uh, as they're walking, Joe kind of drops back a little bit, a couple of feet. And uh, shoots Clay Wilson in the back of the head. So he then hides his body under a tree stru- uh, under a tree stump and a couple of branches that he drags over it. And tells, yeah, no one will see it. He fell. No way. <laughs> <laughs> and he tells the two women that they're with that uh, if they said anything, they're going to end up in the same way. Maybe not under a tree stump, but they're going to end up dead. So from what the FBI can prove, this is the 26th person that Joe Barboza has killed. There's a possibility that that number is closer to 35 because it's thought that he may have killed as many as nine people while he was in California. Yeah. So he was arrested for the murder by local police 
And when he's taken in, it's discovered who he actually is. He, he tells them that if they formally charge him with murder, he's going to recant his testimony against Patriarcha and Tamilio. So the FBI catches wind of this and they rush a whole bunch of agents out from Boston to California to keep him from talking. At his trial, two of the FBI agents serve as character witnesses for him. They get him to plead guilty to murder in self-defense, which, I mean, self-defense against an unarmed man that he shot in the back of the head. I, I mean, um, listen, <laughs> there, there, there was something that happened, okay? Yeah. You know, he so, was worried about the back of his head. You know, yeah. So you know. some somebody sacrificed a chicken somewhere, and they end up getting his charges reduced to manslaughter, and they sentence him to five year from five years to life in prison. But the way the FBI sets this whole thing up is saying, "Yeah, you're going to serve five years in prison, but you're going to get a parole hearing every year. You're getting five to life, but after your first year there." You get your parole, you get your first parole hearing. Okay. So he basically tells them, <clears throat> if I'm in here for more than five years, I'm going to recant my statement. He got out on his first shot because the feds were just like, oh, no, he's a great guy. He's doing good. Kick him out. It's fine. Yeah. Um, so he ends up moving into a $250 a month apartment. Uh, and is now going by the name of Joseph uh, Joseph Donati. And he got this name from a pair of twins that he had kind of run with back in the day, um, who are now both, who are both dead at this point in time. Um, so I kind of figured, you know, you don't need a last name anymore if you're dead. I'm, you know, I'm one of you guys now. Fuck it. Right? Buddies. So he would make some friends with some local scumbags, and he would start doing some small-time stuff. And after a few months, the spaghetti-like tentacles of the Italian mafia reach all the way to San Francisco where they find him. February 11th, 1967, as he's leaving one of his friend's apartments in San Francisco, a white van rolls up down the street in front of him. I'm assuming it's a white van. Most things that happen involving a van, it's a white van. Uh, in this case, it's a black <laughs> one. So the van stops and the sliding door opens and... Uh, Two men hop out. Mm -hmm. One guy's got a, uh, a carbine. The other guy's got a shotgun. Guy with a rifle fires off a couple rounds and his gun jams. Misses both shots. The guy with a shotgun did not. As a matter of fact, all four shells that he fired hit Joe right square in the chest at very close range. Ooh. Um, so I don't think we really need to explain what a shotgun blast does to a human body, but just remember there's four of them. Surprisingly, Joe died right there on the sidewalk at the age of 43. <laughs> uh, the rumor is that Raymond Patriarcha sent a couple of guys out to, uh, out to take care of him. Uh, one of which being J.R. Russo, who I'm assuming is real handy with a shotgun. Uh, and they sent him all the way out there to take care of the dirty business because they didn't want to outsource to anybody else and maybe potentially owe somebody money or a favor. You know what I mean? I mean, so after Joe's death, Raymond, Patri uh, Raymond Patriarcha was released in 1974 and would die a free man in 1984, a freak of a uh, 
natural causes. Oh, yeah? Yep. So here's a fun thing. I, I found this very, very interesting. Um, the attorney that represented Joe during the... Um, um, fuck. Uh, Clay Wilson case was a man by the name of F. Lee Bailey. That name ringing a bell? It should be. If it's not yet, it will in a second. So okay, okay. They, um. after the fact, like a few years after his death, they uh, he was interviewed. You know, somebody asked him about him, and he said, "Quote: With all due respect to my former client, I don't think society has suffered a great loss." <laughs> that's kind of like that's like lawyer speak for guy was a piece of shit and he died like one. Um. So. This dude's got a fucking greatest hits list of trials that that he's been part of. Um, He represented Sam Shepard, who was a guy who killed his wife, who was a inspiration for the old TV show, The Fugitive. Uh, George Edgerly, who was another criminal that was an inspiration for the show, The Fugitive. He, and this one, this one, I kind of hate that he represented this guy in court. Uh, guy's name is Ernest Medina, who was court-martialed for his part in the in the My Lai massacre, which was um, happened during Vietnam. A army company went into uh, the small village of My Lai and they killed somewhere between three hundred and five hundred unarmed civilians, all of which were basically women, children, and the elderly. Yeah. So, shitty thing to do. Yeah. He represented Patty Hearst who was kidnapped by the Symbi- uh, Symbionese Liberation Army and participated in a bank robbery uh, where one of the customers would end up being shot and killed. She was the heiress to the... Oh, I can't remember which one it is. It's a newspaper company that her father ran. Hmm. Um, and just to tie everything back together, Albert DeSalvo actually confessed to Bailey about the strangulations that he had committed as the Boston Strangler. Um, he also was part of the defense team. <laughs> oh God. 1969's first overall pick in the NFL draft from the university of Southern California, Orenthal James Simpson. So if, in case you've been living under a rock, OJ Simpson rushed for 11,236 yards in his career and scored 61 touchdowns. He went on to be one of the best parts of the naked gun movies, in my opinion, and was named into the NFL Hall of Fame in 1985. Uh, kind of surprisingly, with all of his rushing touchdowns, and if you've ever watched any footage of him, you couldn't stop him. Um, but he could not outrun the LAPD. No, no, where no, no. first off, a he didn't out. He wasn't trying to outrun them. He was well. Okay, he was outrunning, but at a slow pace. So I mean, all the spin moves and head fakes aside, it didn't do any good. <laughs> and then when they were, he wasn't really. I mean, he was running, but he wasn't really running because they were following him. Well, I mean, he was, but he was still arrested for most definitely killing his estranged wife uh, and her friend. Nope. I don't care what Johnny Cochran said. It's my man, Johnny Cochran says if Johnny the, Cochran can suck a if, thousand dicks because O.J. Simpson killed his wife. If the glove don't fit, you must quit. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so that's your proof, even though he went on to write a book called If I Did It and described in detail some things that the police didn't know about the, about the fucking crime scene or the murder itself. So, 
It's called Double Jeopardy, Mr. Man. You can't be charged twice. I don't care. He still killed his wife and her friend. Like 100 fucking percent killed them. He He killed the shit out of her. If you've ever seen the, like, the crime scene photos, they are fucking horrifying. I have. Like, he almost cut her head off. Uh He definitely killed her. In a fit of rage. Yeah. He was also an abusive piece of shit before that, though. There was a lot of phone calls to the police being like, hey, uh, so y'all ever heard of this guy, O.J. Simpson? I'm married to him, and he's going to beat me to death one of these days because he just beat the living shit out of me. So, and the cops are like, wait a minute, O.J.? Oh, man, I'll be right over. I want an autograph. Man, it sucks you beat your wife up, but mind signing a ball for my kid? He likes you. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so... Barboza was buried in the South Dartmouth Cemetery in Dartmouth, Massachusetts. Not only does he have the distinction of being the first person in witness federal protection, he is also the first person to be killed while in federal witness protection. Um, It wasn't that good. Well, the FBI skirts around it by saying, well, nobody that's actually followed the rules while in WitPro has ever been killed. But since he's a fucking moron... Which, in all fairness, he was a moron. Pretty much a fucking moron. <laughs> um, if you, you know, you call it as you see it. Yeah. Let's call, let's call a spade a spade here. He's fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck. Yeah. Definitely a duck. <laughs> Unless yeah. it's a Barboza. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I did find an interview that um, I'd found it. And then like last week while we're recording, I because I, I've got the link for it up on my thing. As we're recording, I edited the part out. But Kevin's like, dude, I found an interview. I'm like, OK, and it's the same one. So I'm going to include that in here as well. Um, it's just a couple of minutes. But it, basically, you get to hear this guy tell some of the stories in his own words. And the whole time he's just he's sitting there talking about like his loan sharking schemes and he's smoking fucking cigarettes, and he's wearing, like, a really weird orange T-shirt and his brown fedora. He looks like the cartoon mobster from the old Looney Tunes movie, like, old Looney Tunes cartoons. Well, we can not only put it in. Oh, I'm going to put it up on Facebook, too. We can, yeah, so everybody can see it. So, yeah, I mean, you have to you have to see this guy talk because you're just like, huh, <laughs> okay. I don't get it, but sure. Um, so I'm going to throw that in here, and we'll be right back to close the show out. So far, we have heard Barboza talk about his life as a hired killer. Tonight, the focus is on loan sharking, one of the mob's main sources of income in Barboza's time. And now, here's Ron Golubin. Matt, no one knew loan sharking better than Joseph Barbosa, or Baron, as he was also called. This 1970 interview with him provides a look into the world of loan sharking through the eyes of someone who lived it. Joseph Barbosa's corner in East Boston was a magnet for desperate people who needed money fast and couldn't get it elsewhere. Interest, or vigorous, was high, and the collection methods were low. But Barbosa claimed he always warned the customers first. We made the deal. I tell every person, don't take this money. If you can't pay it every week, I prefer you not take this money, because it can lead you into trouble. If a customer did take the money and couldn't pay it back, there was trouble. This was, this is, was almost typical. If a guy was seven weeks late, say in the area of six, six or seven weeks late, and he was hiding, and I found him, I said, I threatened him, and he, and I told him that <clears throat> you better come down to Connor and straighten this up. 
Now the fellow would continue hiding because he didn't have the money. And I could not, I could not like uh, uh, accept, I could not let myself accept that uh, uh, he was in trouble. So that uh, I stabbed guys after 14 weeks that still continue to hide. You know, I stabbed them in the face, I stabbed them in the legs, I stabbed them in the arms, I stabbed them in the chest. You understand? Barbosa and other loan sharks justify this kind of treatment on the basis of the deal. And surprisingly, they say, even the recipients of the violence agreed. See, most of these people, the ones that I heard, knew that I was right. Maybe I was wrong in the way that I did it, you know, as far as the ex excess violence that I did it. But still, they said that they deserved it. They didn't relish it, but they knew as far as the deal itself, they were wrong. The money made on loan sharking is enormous. For example, Joe Barbosa had just one corner and one section of East Boston. It grew up to $5,500 a week. Interest. How much money did you have out to get $5,500 a week? Well, I was a little lucky. I had only had about $65,000. I had one man that uh, I gave $21,000 to, and he used to give me $1,800 a week. <laughs> there are some freelance loan sharks, but very few successful ones. The successful sharks are soon paid a visit and are usually made an offer they can't refuse. You start out with $1,000. Yeah, right? Once you start making uh, some good money, that's when they step in on you and say, listen, we'll be able to write to Sherlock. Sherlock belongs to, you know, <coughs> to the office. And you've been doing Sherlock for a long, long time. Excuse me, Joe, what do you mean by the office? To the office, in other words, it goes around you. They wait till you make some money. Then they say, all right, we're your partners. We want 50% of your business. Any trouble that you have, we'll take it. You don't have to hit nobody. You don't have to do this. They didn't do that. What do you mean hit? I mean, anybody. You know, what, what they use. What they use if they hit you, uh, you know, slap you, stab you, hit you with a, some kind of an implement or... Uh, I'm going to tell you something. If anybody died from Sherlock, it'd be a $90 customer. <laughs> it won't be a $5,000 customer because that doesn't get you your money back. Tomorrow, Barbosa will define the structure of New England organized crime and name the leaders, the same people the government claims still rule the underworld. Barbosa will also tell why he decided to become an informer, a decision that ultimately cost him his life. In 1970 interview, Joseph Barbosa defined the structure of the New England mob. Barbosa's position as a contract killer required direct contact with the man said to be the boss of the New England crime syndicate, Raymond Patriarca. Now, imagine, like, Raymond sits in Rhode Island. This ashtray is Rhode Island. And this is that's the middle of a wheel. And all these folks run out, lions of them, into, into Worcester, into Springfield, into Boston, and, and all these different uh, uh, cities and suburban towns. Now, when that, the lions go there, he has an office there, the main office in these, each uh, town or city. Now, in that main office, there might be 25 uh, in a, a 25 chartered clubs or bars, more than that, in, in that city, that all turn back to that main office. Now, the main office sends somebody back towards Raymond, and at a certain point, not directly to Raymond, but to who somebody Raymond trusts just outside of Rhode Island, picks up that money and, and brings it to Raymond, 
and you got all these people. You know, you understand what is developing from the, this main artery that thousands and thousands of people that he controls and we have bookmakers and so forth and, and uh, the runners and so forth and pickup men. And uh, gambling is, uh, you know, really, really, you know, they're not wrong in regards to uh, the, the five cent or three cent uh, number. But you understand that, you know, when it deals in volume, brings it back millions and millions and billions of dollars a year. The indictments last week against Boston's alleged mafia leaders confirm that such structure still exists as described by Barboza, and that Raymond Patriarch of Providence, Rhode Island, is the boss of that syndicate. Barboza described the simple way that members of the syndicate are identified to each other. Joe, Joe, this is Jim. Uh, Jim is our friend. Uh, Jim... Joe is our friend. Understand? Or they'll say, uh, they never, if there's somebody that's not connected, they never say our friend. I want you to meet so and so. It was some of these same so called friends who double crossed Barboza and caused him to turn informer and to go on to become the most important witness against the mob ever. Here, he reads from an undelivered letter to Patriarcha, citing his reasons for doing so. They killed Cash and Tommy DePrisco in the nightlight. They took off their person's money totaling over $70,000, which belonged to me in regards to the bail. Killed Chico on December 7, 1966. Raymond sent word to me that if I go to his office and straighten it out, then nothing would happen to my wife and child. They did plot and try to kill my wife and child. The office tried to kill my brother. They tried to kill my wife's cousin, Sid. <coughs> they turned journey of mine against me, and he was opening letters. I was sneaking out through him and letting them read them. The office spread the rumor that they were mad at me for shaking certain people and nightclubs down. Even though I never moved on any club or person until the office gave me the okay, I only answered to Raymond and his emissary. At first, it used to reach me, the informant of Canary Bay. It doesn't reach me anymore because I have a purpose in life. I have only one purpose, and that is uh, the best way I can put it is uh, to get a little peace of mind. That peace of mind lasted about five years. The mob had the last word. On February 11, 1976, Barboza was gunned down in the streets of San Francisco. Last week, two reputed gangsters in Boston, Gennaro Angelo and Ilario Zanino, were arrested and charged with plotting Barboza's murder and that of two of his friends. All right, Ron. Coming up tonight, Roberto Duran. All right. So that was the interview from, uh, I don't even remember where it was from, but it was a, a news source back in, uh, I believe it was like, 1970, like 1979, 1980, somewhere in there when that was filmed. Uh, well, when the, the report itself was released, because the interview was from 1970. Yeah. Um, but holy shit, man. That was fucking, that was something else. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like I missed out because, like, the 70s and 80s had all the, like, all the good shit for true crime. Like, th if this technology had existed back then, there would have been some fucking, like, really intense shit going on. Because the 70s and, like, 60s and 70s had, like, a bunch of gangsters and stuff. The 70s and 80s, you had all these serial killers and, like, guys getting away with all that shit. Would have been fucking ridiculous. But, um, I mean, the gangster stuff was going on way before that. I, I know, mean, but, you know, it, it really, a lot of people consider, 
I've heard people consider like that whole time frame like the golden age of the mafia, which it's not. That's the golden age of the mafia was like the 30s and 40s, like yeah. 20s, 30s, 40s that up that way. Yeah, into the 50s. Yeah, and, and then, then like this would be a different generation of it because maybe, maybe even into the 60s. I mean, I all, think it was like all of those guys like back then were like, no, we don't we don't deal with drugs. We don't hurt women and kids. We're just going to take people's money and do our shit. And then you get like up in the 60s and 70s where they're just like snorting coke and be like, oh, no, I'll fucking kill somebody's kids. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, completely different, different breed of guys. But oh, yeah. Um, I mean, there was a, it, and it changed, you know, into the, the, the drugs and into the, you know, because I mean, it went from liquor, you know, liquor, you know, fighting over liquor and bootlegging and all that and control still still a control of like you know the the clubs and stuff because you have to have control of where it's going yeah but you know they didn't want anything to do with the drugs or whatever yeah. you know fuck that we're not running prostitutes and shit no. maybe a little bit a little <laughs> a little but i mean Recre- recreational prostitutes yeah <laughs> everybody likes those yeah i mean but still it was it was a different time you know I mean, prohibition, you know, gave kind of um, heightened that. It was a different a time because you could go buy a fucking Thompson submachine gun mm-hmm. at like Sears. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, for like a hundred dollars, if that, or, or at your local, you know. Yeah, you could just walk into a fucking gun, gun store and be like, "Hey, or not even at your gun store. You could buy it from a fucking mercantile or whatever." Yeah. I mean, hey, l- l- let me see that BAR back there. That's pretty cool. I'll take one of these. Yeah, get one for my wife too. Well, not my wife, my lady friend, I guess, technically. Oh, you want to pick Y'all got any of them cars that you can't, can't shoot through? No, that's cool. No big deal. <laughs> Don't worry about that. <laughs> definitely, definitely, definitely won't be talking about them at some point, but. I mean, but total different, you know. I mean, the structure still kind of stayed the same. Yeah, the it's... structure stayed very similar, but he was like the first dude to really turn. But it, but it got, people got more, I think people got more ballsy because you know back you know in the earlier stage of you know of uh la costa nostra and you know the u.s you just like saying that i do i love it um they were you know they were it was it was quite feared to be you know the the head and nobody nobody stepped out of line no but if you fucking stepped there out was of line, respect yeah but you stepped out of fucking line. Guess what? You're gonna get smacked. Yep. And you're gonna probably end up fucking dead. I'm gonna smack you twice. I'm gonna smack you once. Then after that, I'm gonna fucking kill you. Yeah. I mean, that that was it. But that was you know, you know, some guys fucking you know. Well, they they towed the line and boom, they ended up you know getting yeah. whacked. Then you get up into the '80s where you got like John Gotti who was like, no, 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 no. I am the mafia. What are you gonna do about it? Prove that I'm doing something wrong. Oh, shit, you did fuck. Okay. Yeah. I guess I'll go to jail now for a minute. I'll get killed, but whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, then you get, you know, people like the Westies and some of the other ones that kind of came in. Those guys were fucking cowboys, though. They were nuts. Yeah. Obviously. I mean, th- but then, like, but then, you know, you had the rise of the motorcycle gangs and but the motorcycle clubs have had have been around for a long time they've been 50s, around since 40s right after world war 2 yeah, but, but they were they weren't really like they weren't 
But the Hell's Angels, as they started off, really weren't you know the Hell's Angels as we know them today. But they weren't. They're not even the oldest club. You know that. The oldest club in the United States is the Outlaws. But they, like I said, they still weren't the you know because I mean a lot of them were started off because they need they wanted to have that camaraderie. Yeah, they from, missed the brotherhood of being in the military. Yeah. And they it, just it didn't wanted get ride real... motorcycles or whatever. The violent part of it didn't really start until like I would say the seventies. Vietnam. So like the sixties, seventies in there. Yeah. Because you got I mean, guys that are like, Oh, I, I I can sneak you guys back some weed from Vietnam, you know. Ah, and then all of a sudden you're it? dealing with fucking drugs and selling guns and shit. Who the hell was it I saw? It was it uh, it was a concert. I don't know if it was Aerosmith or something like that. They were like it was the fucking Hell's Angels. Rolling Stones, and it was at Altamont. Oh, is it Hell's Angels? Yep. Well, okay. They fucked Stones. a bunch of people up. Because the Rolling Stones, like, pay, they didn't want to hire actual security, so they hired the Angels. And they, I believe there was, like, five people that got killed at that concert because they were trying to get on stage, and some dude just fucking stabbed them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're supposed I mean... to just throw them out. I'm like, same thing. But that was, you know, the, the, the age of the ape hanger bikes, you know. Well, that's when all fucking... all bikers were built like fucking Bobby from Sons of Anarchy, too. Just like giant big fat guys, you know. They're yeah. like, oh, I'm going to fucking kill you. Whatever. But, the, you know, you had, you had the rise of that. And then you also had the rise of. Wink, wink, hint, hint. We're going to talk about some of that shit, too, at some point. Yeah. Well, you have. But then you also have the rise of of other gangs, of gangs like the um the Crips, the Bloods. Gangs, yeah. You know, street gangs that. Well, they weren't called the Crips and the Bloods. They were, they, actually. Well, no, they actually started off as different names. Whatever, yeah. I, can't, same I don't difference. remember what the names were, but they were like little little local, you know, like yeah. little corner gangs. Is always how it starts off. But then, you know, this and that happens, and they grew. And, and then you kind of get into the other stuff. And, I mean, the like mafia you, just kind of just, just kind of has stayed here, but they've kind of – like, I don't know. They're not as feared anymore. As well, no, I because think. now, like, the king of the fucking hill for that is, like, the Mexican drug cartels. MS-13? Yeah. Same difference. So, I mean, they're 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 both right there. Because, I mean, you've got MS-13 who will just fucking kill you because you looked at somebody wrong. Then you have the Mexican drug cartels that will kill you, cut your face off, and sew it to a soccer ball. They're, they're both, like, equally horrifying. You know? But there's, you know, what's funny about that is that there's still places in Latin America where they get kicked the fuck out. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, hell, look at here. You know, Brown Pride kicked them the hell out of Tennessee, was yep. it? Yep. You they, know, they, like, they, they like get the fuck out of here. Kicked the MS-13 out. They're like, fuck off. Yeah. This this is our shit. No. <laughs> we don't we don't need any fucking El Salvadorians here. This is Mexican country. Take, yeah. a, take this, a walk. This, this is this is <laughs> this is our home. Yeah. We grew up here, but. Dude, no, like, we're we're American, but you know we're Latino as well. Yeah. So you know, get the fuck out. Yeah. Take a hike. <laughs> I mean, um, up here, you know, we we had. Well, we don't have any fucking. We don't have anything threatening up here. We, we just have people that come in and sell drugs. Yeah. You know, there was uh there was a few years ago. It was probably was a two thousand. Oh Jesus! I was like twenty two, twenty three years old, something like that. So it was about ten years ago where. The some guy from he's from somewhere in New York. He was supposedly a Bloods member that tried to rob a gas station, and the cops fucking shot him and killed him in the gas station. And then like it was a couple of weeks later was the the Halloween parade in Rutland, 
And like, there was all kinds of threats. They're like, oh man, there's, there's, you know, they're going to come up here and they're going to shoot up the parade. Cause you know, one of their guys got shot at here. So like I was at work and I was escorting people to their cars with a 12 gauge. Cause I was like, eh, I like, I don't think anything's actually going to happen, but no fucking way. We, we rather be safe than sorry. We had the little gang fucking the Los Salitos. We called yeah. them the Los Burritos. Yeah. Cause you know, they're still actually big in Connecticut though. Like in Hartford. Believe it or not. Yeah, but they, they thought they were going to be big up here, and then fucking they had – some people had a little chat with them. Yeah, we're like, like, listen. Fuck right clear off. You know, we don't give give two fucks that you're here, but guess what? Mind your P's and Q's or else. I mean, we've got a couple of biker groups here, but they're nothing – nothing. Nah. <laughs> Literally nothing. I mean, they're affiliated. We've had we've had angels come in. Whatever. You know, they, they do run through, but we don't really – Like, th- these are the guys that when I was at my storage unit, they – Saw me like getting out of my car, and a couple of them started walking at me. And then I opened my trunk and I grabbed my fucking AR-15 and slung it across my back. And they turned around and walked away. So scary, guys. Yeah, it's like fuck, dude. I'm just down here trying to get my shit out of here. But I mean, you Don't know, give me a hard time. Fuck off. It's just kind of like you know, guys like this. You know, these like are the Bar- dudes Barboza, that I'd be more afraid of. You know, he. It's almost like it's a, it's a foregone conclusion. Kind of like you know, a. a, a a bygone, you know, kind of like a. Okay, I'm trying to think of the it's word. It's a bygone age. Yeah. Of like the gentleman criminal almost. Sort of, yeah. You know. You know, where, where things happen, but. Where somebody's going to smack you in the fucking head, then he's going to like dust your shoulders and be like, hey, so now that we've had that conversation, do you want to have that again? Yeah. You didn't know, sir. You didn't I didn't have think to, so. <clears throat> you didn't have that worry all the time, you know, of, well, you fuck around or you go in the wrong neighborhood. Yeah, wearing the wrong color. You're wrong color, you're going to get fucking killed. Yeah. I mean... But there's still places like that, man, and it's a very common thing. Uh, a little place called Chicago, where, like, 50-some-odd fucking people get killed a weekend. Yeah. You know? Just for no fucking reason. But gun control works. It does. So, don't forget yeah. that part of it. But, I mean, you know... Barboza was kind of, you know... I had fun talking about, like, researching this guy. Because, like, as much as we gave him shit for being, like, a giant, like, fucking goof and, like, pretending he's dumb... I'm sorry, but... Pretty smart guy still. Yeah. I mean, I I have to take it back after listening to him. He wasn't, you know... Which way did it go, George? Yeah. Where did it go? He was actually, you know, articulate a little bit. It still throws me off to see, like, Italian gangster with a Boston accent. (laughs) No. (laughs) So I was like, wait a minute, what the fuck, dude? You know, I was like, he's trying to say Shylocking, but I'm like, Shylocking? And I'm like, wow, reduce your Boston. He he didn't once do pasta hands either, so it's no, like, what the no, fuck, no, dude? No, no, no. Anyway, so that's uh, that's it for Joe Barboza. Yeah. Um, I will not hesitate to do more Mafia, guys, if you like this, because I had so much fun researching this guy. Um, and And it's one of the things where it's like he's not one of the more – well-known hitmen yeah. like i didn't do like um like richard kuklinski right off which i still want to because he was a fucking psychopath too um oh, he's the uh, i'm sorry but he yeah he's the man he is a he was a fucking killing machine he's uh yeah, yeah. he's yeah. the man that killed jimmy hoffa more than likely if you believe what he said uh, from reading his book, I do. Uh, he, a lot of detail as to what exactly happened and what he ended up in and where he ended up and how he's most likely been assimilated into a 
probably 1989 Toyota Corolla or something in that neighborhood because <laughs> a lot of the uh, the barrels that they were digging up and shipping to Japan for steel mm. were being sent to like the Toyota factories to be made into cars. And he was in one from what he says in his book. So I tend to believe him because he's fucking terrifying. Yeah, I mean, he, he kind of, you know, he's uh, as... um. What's his name from uh, uh, from the Godfather there? Uh, Luca Brazzi. You know, Luca. Nobody fucked with Luca. Until somebody fucked with him. And... Well, <laughs> they they couldn't fucking do it in a normal way. They had to fucking, you know, weasel, weasel dick their way in to, to take him out. That's like how you got to do it. But, I mean, you know, Luca was a fucking feared motherfucker. Yeah. I mean, it took balls to kill Luca. Yeah, do what you gotta do, though. Big balls. And then what? Look what happened. Dude, they did to my boy. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. Um, so with that being said, Kevin, hit them sponsors. Hit them sponsors. Roll that beautiful, beautiful headphone footage. Yes, that beautiful, beautiful headphone and and earbud and Bluetooth listening phone. device. Listening device. Go over to studio.com. Go check them out. They have the headphones, the earbuds, all of all varieties, noise canceling, non noise canceling. Uh, hell, they just they just came out with a brand new one, the Neo, which are I think a little bit more for exercise, I believe. Um, I don't know. They look you. super comfy though. Yeah, but they're noise canceling as well. And if you you know you don't need a pair of earbuds, you just want a pair of headphones. They got the Regent Two and the Klar. The Clar are the over-the-ear noise canceling, which we I love. And you, if you don't want any of those, you can just go over. You can grab a Bluetooth speaker, which is the Femtio. Yeah, and that and Kevin loves his. We actually I mean, just used it. <laughs> yeah, we did. It actually puts out pretty damn good uh, volume out of it. So and it's not just loud; it's crisp. It is, which is it nice. It's very, very crisp. So yeah, find what you want. Put it in your basket. Go to checkout. And then where it says coupon, click in there. Put the promo code of DarkoNose15 in to get 15% off your entire purchase. Also. DarkWindowsPod.com. You go to DarkWindowsPod.com. And we have links there to our Age of Radio page where you can listen to every episode of this shit that we've done. Um, if you're still in the mood for some gangsters, you can go listen to our series on the Westies that we did with our buddy Justin at you know uh, Mysterious Circumstances. I and, say, I say you, know you should go check out if you have if not you, listened if, to if it. If you listen to that and you still want more gangsters, he did a multi-part series on the uh, uh, the DeMeo murder machine. I believe it's called The Murder Machine, which is Roy DeMeo's crew, which yeah, but, sweet baby Jesus, those guys were crazy, and he and, did a great job talking, you can't, covering them. So don't give enough of that. He also did one on The Man, The Myth, The Legend. Dillinger. Yeah. I mean, go check him out, that out, too. Yeah, you want some, like, actual fucking gangsters. There yeah. you go. Like, John Dillinger, where... The man. The man. So, um, yeah, and while you're there, you can check out some of the other shows. Like, uh, we just mentioned uh, Mysterious Circumstances. If you want some true crime, we've got all kinds of stuff like that. There's True Crime Trucker, uh, Color Me Dead with Angel and Nikki, yep. um, Murder Under the Midnight Sun, which I believe is an Alaska-based true crime show. 
I believe so, yes. Yeah, which, I mean, we've been to Alaska before, and that guy's we a have. fucking dick. I don't want to talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> it's sad when, like, that was, like, episode 16, and we still use him as a benchmark for how big of a piece of shit people he's are. He's a cunt. So it's <laughs> I like, hate to say that, but... So it's like... <laughs> use that word, but he's a cunt. If we're putting him at, like, a, like a solid eight... I'm going to put Joe Barboza at, like, a two. <laughs> Hell, I'm thinking fucking... No, no. no dude, because Israel Keys is still not the worst human we've spoken about on this show. That goes to Edward Paisnell, because anybody that hurts that many kids for that long, yeah, that guy's the fucking devil. But yeah, anyway... but still, I mean, Israel Keys... <sighs> you just think... You just hated him because he was a fucking pompous twat. Yeah, and you didn't? He, he was, but... On, in he, the grand scheme of things, he was less of a piece of shit than a guy that destroyed like a hundred, like hundreds of kids' lives. That's true, very, very true. So I, Edward Paisnell is still the biggest piece of shit we've talked about. I agree. Um, and I'm gonna top that at some point. I've got plenty to do it with. Try me, motherfucker. <laughs> I dare you. <laughs> There's plenty of pieces of shit. Oh, out there. I've got a real, real bad one. Like in particularly, really bad one. I mean, fuck. If you grew up in the '80s, you you know you know about you know between the '70s and the '80s, you know about you know quite a few of the pieces of shit i've got one that you've most likely never heard of and he is disgusting huh i like i don't even want to cover him he's that bad well but also you know so if you don't like you know true crime and we got all kinds all of shit stuff. we got sports yeah we got sports if you're we into got, fucking sports uh inspirational if you're into being inspired uh, they also loser what is it uh <laughs> is there politics too i think i don't know probably we got we got we got them all there's something for everybody yeah. If you can't find something you like on the network, go fuck yourself. Or not. Nah, I'm pretty sure you got it. <laughs> I don't know. So, anyway, with that being said, just because you can't see out into the dark doesn't mean that the dark can't see into you. Remember, buy your nightlight. Or go to the nightlight. Why, do you, why, why are you the way that you are? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. 